God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. God bless and welcome to another episode of Family Discussion. My name is Marcos Ortega, and as always, I am joined by the illustrious Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you today? I'm doing well. A little bit wet because it has been dark and dreary and rainy all day, and I'm just waiting for some sun. It's been gross up here in New York, too. I mean, it, we, we've had a pretty mild winter, um, haven't had a ton of snow, but today it has just been rainy and a little bit of sleet this morning. It's kind of a gross day, but, um, you know, the groundhog, I don't even remember. Did he see his shadow? Did he not? I don't know. I know that he says short winter, right? So that's I guess good. I, you know, I was not paying Phil any mind uh, this year. <laughs> I probably should have. <laughs> I don't know where that tradition started, but it's a pretty fantastic one. We we give the entirety of a season to the to luck a of a groundhog. Yeah, to a rodent. <laughs> anyway, um, so today we are continuing something we started last week. Um, this season is dedicated to getting into some of the hot-button political issues of the day. Um, and then, Lisa, last week you shared really where you come to some of these political issues from Scripture. You laid yes. out, here's here's my biblical rationale for why I, um, not just why I vote a particular way, but why I see the issues in a particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, what are we doing this week, then? Well, I'm glad you asked, because guess what? It's your What's turn. That? Oh, it's my turn. All right. It, it is your turn, and I am very anxious to hear... Uh, what you have to say uh, in terms of how you derive your political affiliation from the pages of scripture. Yeah. And I want to, you know, and I want to interject here, you know, in terms of what we're trying to do, because I think that there is this impulse to align ourselves to, you know, politically or, or towards a partisan faction. And then whatever biblical values are, you know, you know, sort of the foundation of that, then we kind of insert that, you know, those, you know, those passages of scripture. And I think what we're trying to do is, is something different in saying, if, in fact, you know, our, our lens in this world has to be scripture, you know, how we live as citizens of another kingdom on this earth and being responsible citizens of this earthly kingdom, well, of course, we want to filter everything that we're doing through the lens of Scripture. And so the exercise here is not so much, you know, to persuade people why they should be, why they should be a Republican or, or focused right or focused left, but rather to understand 
where people can differ, where we can deviate in terms of looking at the same Bible and saying, if our lens is the Bible, we're looking at the same Bible, how is it that there are some who go right and that there are some who go left? And I think that's really the exercise here for for our listeners. Yeah, and it's it's an important point because um, part of what you're going to hear from me in a moment is that I am going to make an assumption that we are people of a different kingdom. That that has to be, and I know that you make that assumption as well. Um, we're people of a different kingdom, and so our alignment is going to be off wherever we land politically or or whatever party we are a part of. It's going to be off. We're we're not going to be. Um, I'm never going to be a good Democrat. You're probably never going to be a good Republican um, because that's not our goal. Our goal isn't to fit a good part and be a good partisan. Our goal is to be faithful to Scripture and to apply what Scripture has for us to the issues of the day um, because we are. We're people of another kingdom, and those priorities come first. Right. Um, so, Lisa, I, I, what do you want to know? How do I, how do I begin? I want to know, well, let's see. So last week— I went to Romans uh, 13 and, you know, saying, okay, so this is my starting place when I look at how, you know, how am I going to vote? What kind, you know, what kind of uh, a political paradigm, what kind of policies am I going to endorse? And I talked about, you know, it starts from this grid of the fact that God gave government and it is good. So we want to make sure that that good government is going to be beneficial towards the mandate that he has given us as his people. Well, and that's actually one of my starting points as well. And so I guess I'll start with a couple of the assumptions that I begin with, or at least not assumptions, but um, presuppositions. These are convictions that will undergird the entirety of how I view politics. And one of them is that government is inherently good. Um, It is a gift of God. And so um, I'm not using good there in any kind of like, um, you know, original sin type language. Of course, all governments have been affected by the fall. But the institution of government, just like the institution of the church and the institution of the family, are God-ordained institutions. Um, that, so I don't have any kind of like skepticism about the institution of government. And on that, we are definitely in agreement. Um, government is a good gift from God. Um, Romans 13 is a great starting point for, for where I would come from that. And Peter, for example, tells us that in our lives we're to honor the emperor. And so we're not supposed to have a suspicious view of government inherently. Um, we are, however, supposed to um, be voices that are encouraging the government to serve the people in such a way that is for the common good. And so the common good is also something that's very important um, to my politics and thinking through what is the common good, what's actually good for um, the the whole of the people. Um, I'm also, uh, so that's assumption one, government is good. Um, presupposition two is that we are always going to be outsiders in this conversation because we are kingdom people first. And so um, that's why... Our view of American politics must always be held at a second or third tier when it comes to um, gospel issues, right? So um, while the gospel is going to inform a lot of this, this is second, third tier stuff 
so we should be able to disagree well with one another on these issues. We shouldn't be breaking fellowship around these issues um, because we are outsiders and we are a kingdom people and that will um, that binds us together no matter how that plays itself out in American politics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now the third presupposition I'm, I'm bringing to this, or at least a third conviction, which may sound strange for somebody who is um, registered with the Democratic Party, and I'll, I'll talk about that more for, uh, in a second. Um, I believe that God is the God of life, and because he is the God of life, we are to be people of life. And life then becomes one of the through lines for my politic. Um, I am concerned with not just the protection of life, but the promotion of life. And anything that would um, get in the way of the flourishing of life or would even threaten life ex- life's existence is something I'm against. Anything that promotes life is something I'm for. Um, and that's, that is a major component to my politic. Um, so an ethic of life is, is very important to me. Um, but that's complicated when we get into the partisan back and forth. Right, and so um, I'll flesh that out in a second. But um, I should also maybe explain to people how I became a Democrat, um, or at least why I signed up with the party. Um, it was very, very. And you're going to find this, and as I lay out kind of how I view politics, um, it was just a pragmatic decision. I wanted to vote in primaries. Um, I wanted to take part in the primary, uh, the, all the the primary rigmarole. I wanted to be able to. Um, vote in somebody's primary election. And so I've decided to um, line up with one of the parties. So what I had to do basically is look at the platforms of the parties and say, where do I line up more? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign up with that party so that I can vote in the primaries, so that I can take part in more of the process than, than if I was not signed up with one of the major parties. Um, and so my, my politics is pretty pragmatic. What, wh- where do I find the most agreement? because there's major disagreements that I have with both major parties, and how can I line myself up with them um, so that I can take part in the process? That's really where it came down to. Um, So I I am the least excited Democrat you'll run into, um, because for me, it was pragmatic. Uh, I want, where do I better line up? Okay, I better line up here. I don't really line up all that well, but I better line up here, and so I'm going to vote that way. Uh, or at least I'm going to get into the primary so that I can vote in, in those. So that was a little bit of that. Okay. Okay. And of course that, I mean, that that's honest. And of course that leads me to ask, and maybe it's a, it's a question that we'll have to defer because one of the criticisms of Christians, particularly in the last election cycle, who voted for Trump, were criticized for being pragmatic, yeah. for looking at, you know, the issues of the opposing party and saying, we don't really like this particular person, but at least he's not her. At yeah. least he's not going to, at least he's going to kind of, you know, stem the tide of what this other side is bringing. And so I've seen a lot of criticism um, for for folks that were you know basically voting pragmatically, 
So that maybe that's not a question to answer now. Maybe that's a something for a later time. But you know, since you oh, since you opened that door, since I, I just opened the I, door, I just well, thought I'd throw think, that out there. I think there was something unique about the 2016 election. We're going to get into that as we go. Um, but I think that over, overall, we're always pragmatic about this. Um, there's never a candidate that we are over the moon for if we're Christians because their platforms are diverge from the kingdom platform. And so we're always being or pragmatic. Should. Well, <laughs> that's a whole just, other issue, but anyway, I'll just let that I'm hang aggressive. there. Um, but, um, you know, because our, because a kingdom platform doesn't fit neatly with a Democrat or Republican platform, we have to be pragmatic as we approach this. Um, and, and so, I think there was something different about 2016, and that's for a future episode. Yeah. But um, I don't think voting pragmatically is a bad thing. I think that's what we have to do. I think that we're always looking at two candidates and saying, yeah, neither of these candidates really fit exactly the Christian paradigm, unless, by God's grace, one of um, we end up with one of our brothers and sisters running on a, on a kingdom platform and manages to make it to the general election that way. That um, would really make the theonomist quite happy. Uh, Theonomist would be thrilled about that, um, which maybe I should pause. I don't know if I want to make the Theonomist happy about stuff like that. But um, no, it's 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 one of those things where we have to be practical about this. Um, someone is going to run the country, um, and and so we have to an- ask the question: Who are we going to vote for um, that we believe is going to be the better leader of the country, and whose policies do we want to see enacted? Um, knowing that there's always going to be a give and take in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where um, that's where I come to with this ethic of life. And it's the ethic of life that does, um, maybe surprisingly for folks, line me up more um, with what is called, and I don't even know if it should be called this, but it's called a progressive or a liberal um, politic. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if that's necessarily true. Um, I do know that I find myself in agreement more on some issues with liberals, and I find myself in agreement on a couple issues with conservatives. Um, so I'm probably somewhere in the middle of this. But um, the ethic of life is is key to me, and it, it's it's also something that I find all through Scripture. And I think that's why you know we're this is about where do we come from Scripture, um, and, and so I want to just lay out a few of these. Um, for me, when I think about how we are to um, live in a foreign land, right? So using kingdom language, we're in a foreign land and we're supposed to um, be as faithful as we can in a foreign land. First place I go is a place like um, Jeremiah 29.7, right? So um, Jeremiah 29.7 is, um, these are God's instructions to the people um, as they are in exile. And they're trying to figure out, well, how are we supposed to live in this foreign land? What does that look like? And so God tells them, um, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile. So that's the um, that's the context. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage. But then verse 7 is key. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. And that for me is a principle that that carries a lot of weight for how we're supposed to live as Christians in the United States. We're to seek the peace and prosperity of the land. So we care about the common good. We care about what happens in the United States of America. And um, so that's kind of the grid that I'm looking through. We're an exile people who care about life. Um, 
and we are seeking the common good. And so there are um, there are some things that we want to keep in mind. And and I look at the I look at passages like Micah six eight, which is kind of a, a common passage. What does the Lord require of you but to seek justice, love mercy, um, and to walk humbly with your God? Um, and and so you see the the people of Israel, for example, Isaiah one. Um, it, 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 this is a damning indictment of the people of Israel that Isaiah lays out for him in Isaiah 1, where he says, um, your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So they're religious feasts he hates. Um, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight and stop doing wrong. And then he gets into the, here's the actual things that you need to be doing. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the cause of the widow. And it's, it's passages like this, when we couple that with who are we supposed to be in as an exile community, Say, all right, well, we're supposed to be seeking this within the church, but also we're to seek the peace and prosperity of the land. What is good for the country? Well, what is good for the country are these similar things. Seeking justice, defending the oppressed, um, taking up the cause of the fatherless, pleading the case of the widow. And so these become important verses for how I think through political issues. Does this particular um, issue that we're debating, how, does, how is this a just, how, how, how does justice play into this? How is this protecting the oppressed? How is this lifting up the weak and the needy? Um, these are important um, questions that I bring to the table, and they do help me um, take a side, if you will, or at least pick a place where I stand on particular issues. And as I do that, I find myself um, being called a liberal a lot. And uh, you know what? It, I, I don't. I don't try and own the label for myself because it's unhelpful. Um, but, you know, if that's what people want to call me, I guess that's what they can call me. <laughs> okay. So last week, you know, we talked, I talked about, you know, sort of there, there are, are certain key values that when we look at the whole council of scripture, there are, um, well, at least for me, there are, you know, there are certain values that just arise from it. And so I mentioned that, you know, care for the church, um, honoring God's morality in the land. And I would think that that would be part of, um, you know, seeking peace and prosperity for the land. And of course, as you know, there's a lot of challenges on that front today. But I also, you know, pointed out that, yes, we, you know, we can't ignore the fact that there is care for vulnerable populations. And so it's just interesting to me that when you look at that grid, that it's, you know, that that issue itself, you know, causes you to lean a certain way, whereas I'm, you know, leaning another way. Well, and I think it's it's priority of issue for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that we have to look at the political issues of the day and we have to prioritize them in our minds. Um, and and so life issues for me are at the top. Um, but uh, But here's... And we're going to get into this because we're going to have a whole conversation about pro-life, whole life, and all of that. But here's why life issues don't get me leaning right. Um, it's not because I'm pro-choice. I'm pro-life. 
Um, I'm one of the, whatever it is, 12 million or so pro-life Democrats that are out there. Is it that um, many? It's a lot. There's a lot of us. We just, we, we aren't allowed to use the microphone very often. Okay. Um, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> they just, they don't let us on TV. Um, but there's a lot of us. And um, that number's shrinking. There are a lot of people who are, who are getting um, fed up and they're saying, you know what, we, but the problem is a lot of these um, pro-life Democrats would identify as, as whole life. And so on all these other issues, they disagree with the, the Republican Party. But on the issue of abortion, they do agree with the Republican Party. It makes it, it makes for a very difficult home life politically. Mm-hmm. Um, here's here's my frustration. I'm going to try and keep this from um, becoming a, a soapbox. But here here is why I actually take abortion off the table when I'm considering who I'm going to vote for. Um, and I'm talking nationally here. This is different when you get into state elections um, because we have seen some really cool things happen in the states. We're seeing heartbeat bills and stuff like that getting passed in some of these states, and those are great. Um, but on the national level, I just want to use the example of the last two years before the midterm election where um, we had a Republican president a Republican House, a Republican Senate, two new Supreme Court appointees from a conservative president, um, and we all know that if push came to shove, Lord willing, they would vote um, in a conservative direction on the issue of abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here's where I get really, really frustrated. We had all of that, and not a single pro-life piece of legislation made it to the floor of the House. There was no, I, I don't remember the knockdown drag out fight over abortion rights. I don't remember a bunch of pro-life legislation getting put up front by Paul Ryan. I don't remember President Trump calling for a bunch of pro-life legislation. It is um, interesting to me that in the latest State of the Union address, he calls for a ban on partial birth abortion, but now he's got, an, he's got a house that's never going to let that happen. Where was that call in the first two years when he had the power to get this through? Right. And what that what that tells me is I have two parties, one of which is loudly pro-choice, and the other is pro-choice through inaction. They, they say they're pro-life. They advocate for pro-life policies when they're on the campaign trail. They show up at the March for Life. They do all that stuff, but they don't actually try and get anything done when it comes to legislation. And so I just have to ask the question, is that really pro-life? Or are you just using this as a political wedge issue? And um, so I'm, I'm stuck looking at these two parties and saying, listen, one, the, their, their pro-abortion platform I abhor, but the other are just seem to be using a pro-life platform and aren't actually getting anything done on a national level. Because when they have an opportunity to do it, we see no action. Now, that, where's my 20-week ban? Like, we don't even have to go to heartbeat, Bill. Can we get 20 weeks? From a Republican Congress? Apparently not. And so when I think through the issues, abortion matters a lot to me. Um, this is also personal for, for my family because my wife works at a crisis pregnancy center. Uh, I mean, we are, um, I'm not just talking about abortion as if it's a theoretical thing, but my wife is on the front lines of this, which means my family's on the front lines of this. Um, this is an important issue. And yet I can't trust the pro-life party to actually enact pro-life legislation. Um, now, when we look at some of the states that are, that are doing things, I'm excited about that. Um, I'm just thinking in national politics right now, I can't vote that way. I, I can't allow abortion to be 
Um, the linchpin for me, because it hasn't worked, it hasn't worked in, in 1973, um, it, it, it's not that long ago, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, but there's been a lot of Republican administrations since then, um, and, and we haven't seen we haven't seen major move on this. So, um, so I take that off the table when I look at um, political issues. And so the rest of them, um, I try and use the grid of the Westminster standards. Uh, I'm a good Presbyterian, so the Westminster shorter catechism or larger catechism means something to me. And when you get to the Ten Commandments, um, you get to the Sixth Commandment. Mm-hmm. The Sixth Commandment requires, so the way, um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the um, catechism, when it gets to the commandments, it says, what does the commandment require and what does it forbid? Um, so there's two halves to this. Um, what does the Sixth Commandment require? The Sixth Commandment requires us to do our best to make every lawful effort to preserve our own life and the lives of others. And then it gives you this long, long, long thing of what that actually looks like. I mean, it lays it all out. It even gets to the way that we eat, drink, take medication, sleep, work, and play. Like, it gets really, really yeah. detailed. Um, and and then it, it... But there's a couple things here. For example, we are to... Um, avoid actions that would promote or lead to the unjust taking of someone's life. And we should provide aid and comfort to those in distress as well as protect and defend the innocent. All right, so we're required to do that, and that's not just an abortion thing. That's life in general, and that's looking at all of the issues. And then, what does the Sixth Commandment forbid? It forbids taking our own life or anyone else's, except in the pursuit of public justice, lawful war, and that's a whole other conversation, right? Um... But you see um, that you are to avoid, um, it, it forbids oppressing people, and it forbids anything conducive to the destruction of anyone's life. And so we are now getting into a whole lot of issues, right? Um, you bring up an issue, and this, th- these two sections in the larger catechism play a role. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about things like gun control, this has something to say about that. When you get into healthcare debates, this has something to say about that. Um, these are the scriptures and the, confe- the the standards, both the confession and the um, catechisms, lean me in a particular direction on a lot of issues. Will this policy actually improve someone's life, or will it take away from somebody's life? And uh, and so that's that's the primary grid that I look at with a lot of this. Okay. Let me ask you this, because there's a when we bring up the Second Amendment, you know, mm-hmm. as you as you rightly know, there is a tension between um, what you advocate for as a Democrat and what Republicans advocate for in terms of a constitutional mandate. I don't even know if mandate is the right word. But it's, well, it's a constitutional well, course, right, right? Right, our constitutional right. So it seems to me like in that, the heart of that tension is, are we going to go with the life issue, the scripture, or are we going to go with the Constitution? Because you and I, you asked the, 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 uh, a good question last week um, in terms of, <clears throat> I think it was last week, you know, in terms of this, you know, this upholding of the, um, the, you know, the Constitution, that there seems to be this compatibility with, um, I don't know, a high, you know, looking at the authority 
of scripture and high view of, of scripture with, you know, constitutionalism or, you know, looking at, at strict, what does, uh, what does the constitution afford us? Um, and I, I don't think that that's off base. Um, and to be honest with you, I still need to process that a little bit more, but it's interesting because when you hear the, when you, when you hear the debates about gun control versus not gun control, is that, you know, one side is saying, well, of course we need that because we need to protect life. And the other side could, sounds like it's saying, well, we need to protect the Constitution, which, you know, and there's an argument in that in terms of self-defense, in terms of self-protection. I mean, look at the, you know, this church shooting in Texas that happened recently and the fact that there were armed gun there, you know, there were armed um, guards or, or, you know, or folks. I don't know whether they were police or security, but yeah, I think they were church security. They were church security who were trained in these kind of situations um, the dev, you know, unfortunately, two people were killed. It could have been worse had, you know, had the the security not been present. So, you know, so it sounds, and, and here's the point I'm getting it. At the surface, it sounds like what you're saying is because, you know, gun control cares about life, but Second Amendment rights cares about the Constitution. And I'm thinking there may be, it, in caring about the Constitution, it's ultimately about life, you know? I think well, it depends and, on yeah. the person. I, I think, here's what I want to be careful in saying. I'm giving um, kind of the paradigm for where I land on some of these issues, but I mm -hmm. think that those who care about life may land on the other side of these issues. And I, what I'm trying to demonstrate is, listen, I'm coming from Scripture and I'm coming from the standards um, I'm not just imbibing a, a social politic, right? Yeah. When it comes to the Second Amendment, um, the, the, the standards are very clear in this, um, that the, the Sixth Commandment um, forbids the taking of life except, and one of the exceptions there is necessary defense, um, and that we are um, not to withhold the necessary means for the preservation of life, right? And so I think it's important that um, we, be, we be very clear what we mean by gun control because the way gun control is talked about is, oh, well, they just want to take all guns away. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's not um, what we are saying is perhaps there are some weapons that should not be available to the general public. And everyone agrees with that. Everyone agrees with that. That is why I cannot go on Amazon and purchase a nuclear bomb. Like, we know right. that there are limits to the kinds of weaponry that people can have. Where we draw the line is where the debate is. And I am in favor of stronger restrictions, but I do not think that um, a life ethic requires the taking away of all firearms. I just think that um, we should look at the weapons that are out there in people's hands and have serious conversation about whether or not some of these weapons are right for uh, are, are part of that right that is given in the second amendment um and so i, th I think that's where the debate comes down to um uh you know when we think about what happened in texas it, there it was a tragedy all around uh, we we I, I serve a church where there is security um uh, none of those men and women want to take a life 
They're, they're here to just make sure we all feel safe. So what happened in Texas, um, I feel for the guy who did what he did to, to protect the rest of the congregation. Um, it's, it's horrifying. I just think that um, we want to have strong conversations about um, what kinds of weapons are for the promotion of life, what kinds of weapons are actually just designed, only designed for the taking away of life. And I think that's where we can have some good dialogue and some good disagreement. Um, but it doesn't mean that those of us who are in favor of forms of gun control want to rip out the Second Amendment. Um, we do want to see, there are, there are times the Constitution has to change. Listen, we, the three-fifths clause had to change. Um, so there are, there are certainly amendments, and there are certainly parts of the Constitution that need to be changed um, mm-hmm. from time to time. It is not an inviolable document like the Scriptures. Um, I think we should have a robust conversation. I think Christians are allowed to have a robust conversation around some of these issues like the Second Amendment without um, being accused of, of hating America. <laughs> you right. know I mean? That, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, this is where we, we get into some of these issues where I think uh, as we approach Scripture, we're going to come to maybe some different places. Um, you know, when we think uh, part of the promotion of life for me, it actually leads me, maybe strangely for some, to economic policies more than anything else. Um, how are we caring for the poor? How are we providing for the poor? How are we ensuring that the poor are not being oppressed and the poor aren't being taken advantage of, but how are we making sure that the poor are, are being um, lifted up and given more of an opportunity to thrive in life? Mm-hmm. Um, that becomes really, really important to me. And so when I think through things like tax policy, I'm going to the scriptures. Now, that doesn't mean that a specific tax policy is what I'm going to find written in Galatians. Right. But it does mean that the Bible should uh, impact how I think about economics. That's not exempt from Scripture. Um, and so, you know, when you, when you think through even some of the teachings of Jesus, um, you know, Matthew 25 is a famous passage. What you did for the least of these, you did for me. Or at least of these, my brothers, you did for me. Um, and, and it's important in that passage, he's talking about the, the Christian family, but then what we see a principle throughout Scripture is um, we don't just love those in the family, we love the neighbor. Um, and then we love, you know, especially in the in the Torah, we see over and over again the need to love the sojourner and love the stranger. Um, so when I think through the like the top issues that mean a lot to me, life um, is number one, and that covers most of the other issues. Um, that covers immigration. You know, how are we treating folks at our southern border? Is that for the flourishing of life, or is that for the destruction of life? And if it's going to destroy life, if it's going to destroy families. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'm against it. You know, any kind of policy that's going to rip families apart, I'm against it. And and that shouldn't be controversial. Um, and yet, in our current climate, that is somewhat controversial. Um, and so, you know, all of these issues for me, I'm saying, okay, where, where does, um, what are the primary values within Scripture um, that aren't just levied towards Israel, but if you read the first couple chapters of Amos, if you read Nahum, these are prophecies against foreign nations for the way they have treated the poor, for the way that they have treated the oppressed. It's not just the people of Israel who need to make sure they're treating folks right. The foreign nations are being judged for the way they treat the poor and the oppressed. And so I think prophetically the church has an obligation to speak to this foreign nation, the United States, and say, how are you treating the poor and the oppressed? 
And so that that's that's part of the life ethic. Um, and so I think that's so that's part of where this comes from, um, and why I'm going to advocate for certain policies, um, and why I'm going to believe in certain policies. It, it is coming from the really the whole counsel of God, and not just. Um, and, and that's important to me that it comes from the whole counsel of God. Um, that's not to imply that my Republican or my conservative friends are not thinking that way. It's just to say, hey, listen, I am thinking this way. So um, miss me with the idea that I don't care about the Bible or I don't care about the faith. Right. I do. I'm just going to end up voting in a different way than you, and that's okay. Right. Right. Because I think, you know, at the end of the day, like, if, if you know, for our listeners who, you know, who tuned in last week and sort of, you know, I laid out my, you know, where I go to Scripture, it, you know, how Scripture dictates to me certain policies and I think at the end of the day the goal is the same the question is how do we get there you know and and you know looking at all of the pragmatic dynamics if you will that go into policies and you're right nothing is going to be perfect but again it's a situation where you know we're both looking at scripture and I'm saying yes I care about life and these are the types of policies, if I'm, you know, really, um, you know, sifting this through the lens of scripture, these are the policies that I think lend to the flourishing of life. And that's different than yours, but the goal is the same. The goal is the same. And so we should be able to have a good conversation and a, and a healthy disagreement um, because we understand that the goal is the same. I mean, what you described last week is that you see a more limited form of government being what is needed for the flourishing of life. I'm looking at it saying, actually, I want the government more involved because I think more government involvement leads to the flourishing of life. Um, the end goal is the same. We have a very big disagreement on how we end up at that goal. Um, but that's not like, you know, this isn't me buying into like a, a socialism or a cultural Marxism or... Um, you know, just thinking that we can build a utopia on earth. This is me just saying, listen, I think the Bible has this ethic. I think these these approaches to these issues get us closer to that ethic. I'm going to vote in a particular way. And um, folks might be listening and saying, it's really convenient that you've taken abortion off the board. Um, my, my rejoinder to that would be put it back on the board for me. Get these Republican lawmakers to actually do something about abortion and make it harder for me to vote for a Democrat. Because if I actually believe that Republicans are actually going to get something done on abortion, well, now now I'm very much so interested in what it might be to vote for a Republican. Um, but the track record has not been one where I think that that's a, an issue that gets that gets brought up. Um, and so... That's where I'm at. Like I, I, I we're going to get into a lot of the specific issues, and that's why people are like, well, how do you, how do you get there on this issue? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, but hopefully, it gives a little bit of a framework as to why, or at least how I come to my my decisions on these issues. Yeah, and I hope that that's been helpful for listeners, and particularly those who are very swift to make condemnations about. Christians who lean left or, you know, Christians who are even registered Democrats, um, which, you know, I confess I have a little, I still have a little bit of a challenge with that. Um, but to be able to hear where you're coming from that, you know, it's not because you're right. It's not because you're imbibing 
this, you know, this progressive social gospel that completely ignores the Bible. Um, and so I hope that that has been very, has been, um, you know, good and particularly for those who, you know, who, who just can't believe that, you know, a Christian can one, uphold the supremacy of Christ, the authority of scripture, the care for his, his church and, you know, and, and be a Democrat. Well, I, and I, I hope it is helpful for folks and, and listen, um, tweet at us. Like seriously, if if you if you want more conversation, you want to engage in this, um, hit us up on Twitter. Um, yes. You know, uh, message us at Reform Graciously. Margins. Graciously, y'all, come on now. It's it's so ugly. It's so ugly when people attack each other. Um, if you, I mean, that's a pretty good way to get just no answer. Probably we're not going to block you, but we're definitely not going to engage with you if it's just an attack or if you feel like this is a a one two punch. You're going to set us up with the first tweet and then hit us with the second. Um, not interested in fighting with you, but if you want to have constructive conversation, there's ways we can do that. Um, and, and if we can model what it is to have good conversation in an election year, it's a pretty good witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, because, you know, we're recording this, um, the week of the Iowa caucus disaster, um, the week of the Supreme, uh, not the Supreme Court, the, the, uh, the State of the Union, and the and the the week of the acquittal, right? So this is a very hyper partisan time right now. Um, what better way for us to demonstrate the unity in Christ and the love we have for one another that when we come away from Scripture with different political um, values and different political, um, you know, pragmatic decisions that we're making and how we approach the issues? What better example to say, hey, we still love each other. And we're still able to have these conversations and we're not going to demonize each other. Um, so hopefully this has been a, a good episode for folks. Lisa, do you have anything else for me before we go? No, that's it. I'm just, you know, looking to get in. Uh, can't wait to get into more specifics. Um, so it's just it's just interesting. And I really I really like that we're doing this particularly because there's just so much vitriol and there's you know, it, you're right. It's just, everything's just hyper-partisan. Um, you know, there's just this, this ugly hyper-partisan mood um, that is building, not just our society, but in the church as well. Um, and so we do have, we do need to remember that we are kingdom people first. Amen. Amen to that. And and so, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we, um, we've been doing some controversial stuff. Why don't we do something easy like, I don't know, religious liberty or, uh, or you know, abortion or something that's not going to be super controversial for people uh, next week. We'll get into one of these issues um, and we'll dive in a little bit deeper and we'll start to pick apart um, where we have some disagreement on, on the way that that influences our vote or the way that that influences the way that we work around uh, work in culture and in society so um, it's going to be fun going to be some interesting conversations to come I hope people enjoy them um, most of all I hope that people walk away from this encouraged that there is a way to disagree well in Christ so that is it for today at Family Discussion thank you for joining us we hope to hear from you uh, soon and we hope to have you with us again next week on our next episode of Family Discussion Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's family discussion. 
If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next family discussion. Thank you.